Hello listeners, thank you for joining us again. Just a slight heads up, we have had some audio issues in this episode, so there may be some things that we would normally cut out, but we thought that we should leave them in. Why don't you listen through to the end and let us know what you think? Rachel, that's Grace. I'm Grace, that's Rachel. Where are we? Actually, really, where are we this week? I have um, plum forgotten. So, so we're in Key West, Florida. What? The Sunshine State. Yes. I'm not going to tell you what my story is until I tell you what my story is. Frogman. No, wait. That's... Just, just, wait. No. Mm-hmm. So my sources for the history are conctortrain.com, worldguides.com, and athomekeywest.com. I actually didn't realize this, but Key West is actually 150 miles south of mainland Florida. Really? Yeah, it's at the end of the Florida Keys. Alrighty then. Yeah. I always thought it was like there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Let me just hop on this little airplane boat and... No, they actually have... I'll go into it. Okay. (laughs) So Ponce de Leon discovered Key West in 1521 during his expedition to Florida in search of the Fountain of Youth, which I kind of want to cover now. He named the island Cayo Hueso, which means Bone Island in Spanish because of the bleach limestone rock formation of the island. The only reason it's called Key West now is because that sounded like Key West. A little West. ominous. Oh. No, it sounded like Key West to the non, non-Spanish speaking people that later came to the island. Wait, okay. Say it again. What was that? Hiawaso. Hiawaso. That doesn't Hiawaso. sound like Key West. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't think it does either. But I guess if you... Hiawaso. I guess if you heard the K and the W-ish noises, Kwa, they'd be like, Key West. Sure. They thought they did something. I don't know. Okay. Yep. (laughs) On March 5th, 1882, Lieutenant Commander Matthew C. Perry claimed the island for the United States as part of the ceded territory from Spain. Mm -hmm. During the mid-1800s, Key West was the richest city in the U.S. because of the shallow reefs and the amount of land or the area of the surrounding gulf of mexico and atlantic ocean Mm -hmm. meant more wrecking and salvaging salt manufacturing and and turtling turtling yeah like hunting of turtles i believe so poor turtles yeah a lot of the people from the bahamas went to key west for these jobs during the 1830s and were commonly called conks which is a term um, that still uses a nickname for Key West locals today. You know, like a conch shell. Conch shell, yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> well, just in case anybody just, doesn't know how to... We're just going to name them after a bunch of shells. No yeah. big deal. 
The Key West Lighthouse was built on Whitehead Street to mark the island's shoreline, and you can still visit this lighthouse and see the beautiful view. Key West was interesting during the Civil War. Fort Zachary Taylor was constructed at the southern edge of Old Town Key West, and while the state of Florida joined the Confederacy, Key West actually remained Union territory because of that naval presence. During the Ten-Year War, which was part of Cuba's fight for independence from Spain, a lot of Cuban refugees came to Old Town Key West. There are actually still some historic Cuban-owned businesses and landmarks that you can visit, like the uh, San Carlos Institute, Kino Sandals, and Pepe's, which is the island's oldest restaurant. It opened in 1909 and actually has amazing reviews online. I looked it up. Oh, wow. That's been amazing. They are open and they have uh, great outside seating, apparently. So if you live in Key West, go to Pepe's. Yes, or if you're visiting, which I don't know how I feel about you going to Florida during all of this, but I mean, people live there, so. Yep, yep. During the Industrial Revolution, a man named Henry Flaglet tried to extend the Florida East Coast Railway to Key West, and it was completed, but it was also destroyed by a Category 5 hurricane. No one wanted to pay for the repairs, so the land was sold to the state, which built the overseas highway over the salvageable portions of the mm -hmm. structures that remained. The highway was rebuilt in the 1980s, and now it runs alongside some of the railway ruins, which have been converted into fishing piers and walking paths called the Florida Keys Overseas Heritage Trail. So going back a bit, Pan American Airlines was found, founded in Old Town Key West in 1926, providing air service to Havana, which I thought was pretty interesting. Because the island became easier to access, it became obviously a tourism hotspot. Mm -hmm. A lot of writers, musicians, politicians would uh, visit Old Town Key West, such as Ernest Hemingway, Tennessee Williams. Uh, there was also President Truman, and he transformed the Naval Station there into a little White House, which is now an, a museum and event space. I'm not going to lie. I thought you were going to say it was now an amusement park. That'd be interesting. It would. A presidential themed amusement park. <laughs> In <Well>. 1970. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> uh, your prize for this game is COVID. Congrats. In 1979, Key West began a really amazing tradition that eventually became Fantasy Fest. It's a 10-day street festival sort of thing with parades, balls, costume competitions, body painting, drag queen contests, costume Ooh, I parties. Go. I, I know. I There's an I AIDS go. fundraiser and so much more. Would sound, it sounds amazing. Unfortunately, it was canceled this year for the first time in 41 years because of COVID-19. Well, yeah, for good yeah. reason. But they created a Fantasy Fest fund that will work together with another fund, Community Wins, to raise money for them to donate uh, so they can disperse them to the people who are most in need in their community. So like all of those people that would be working during that festival that aren't able to now. Yeah. Um, and anyone else who is in need. If you're interested in donating or learning more um, about Fantasy Fest, visit fantasyfest.com because it was pretty, pretty cool. So back to the history. Sorry, um, almost done. Um, it's okay. I was just thinking you always find so much cool stuff for your history and I barely ever find anything. <laughs> That's only because I get hyper fixated when I'm researching on random stuff. So I look that up and I'm like, oh, what's that? And then I look stuff up about that. And then I'm like, oh, wow, what's that? And I'm like, I need to 
do my history. <laughs> um, in 1982, the U.S. Border Patrol put up roadblocks at the entrance of the overseas highway in an attempt to deter, sh- like, drug smuggling. Yeah. Which meant there was a major, like, traffic back up on the island. And there, there's only so much island. Yeah. So. Run out of island real fast. Yes. The city of Key West did not like this and actually briefly declared its independence from the United States, calling itself the Conch Republic. And this name sort of stuck even after it was reintegrated. And Conch Republic independence celebrations are still held every April. As far as places to visit, there are so many. Uh, Most of the island's attractions are in the place I've mentioned the most, Old Town Key West which is the most historical part of the island. There's Hemingway House, Key West Lighthouse that I mentioned earlier, the parks, the beaches, the amazing restaurants, and even a ghost tour. Ooh, right up our alley. That is my history. Super interesting. Yeah, I really want to go to that festival. I do too. It sounds really cool. So fun. Adding that to our travel plan for we when so all this many. I know right when all this what do we over. have we've got um New Orleans Colorado Massachusetts now here now Key West um Ireland Scotland Scotland okay my story this week revolves around Eileen Warnos yes and if you don't know her she is one of the most wow. famous mm-hmm. uh, female American serial killers. I actually should have included a more fun fact about her, but whatever. (laughs) She's a walking, um, interesting fact herself. She is. I do have to say, even though I have so many sources, none of them really went into detail about the crime itself. Yeah, I noticed that part of that about my story too, so that's fine. Yeah, so... Just a warning, guys. If There's you not a lot of the, detail. <laughs> the gory details. Um, it's mm. not here. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Okay. Darn it. Okay, so my sources are crimeandinvestigation.co.uk, latimes.com, biography.com, capitalpunishmentincontext.org, clarkprosecutor.org, britannica.com, history.com, murderpedia.org, wikipedia.org, CourtTV.com, Wesh.com, LinkSpringer.com, and AllThat'sInteresting.com. Well, if it's in context. <laughs> it's in context. Also, I do have to say, um, Court TV has, like, the entire trial. Oh, do they I, really? I did not get a chance to watch any of it, but... Oh, I would not be able to. Yeah, but it has, like, the entire trial. So, Oof. if you're interested... Go and watch it. Not that hard to find. Go do it. After listening to what? us, obviously. CourtTV.com. Okay. Okay, so before I begin, I do want to mention that there is a brief mention of sexual assault that may be triggering to some listeners. So if that pertains to you, please skip about 20 to 30 minutes to Grace's story. And I apologize. Mine has zero mention, so. So you're good. Just skip to Grace's. Yeah. So Eileen Carol Pittman was born on February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan to Diane Warnos 
and Leo Dale Pittman. Both of her parents were super young when they met and got married on June 3rd, 1954. Diane was only 14 and Leo was 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, which, you know, it's not that big of an age difference, but they're just However, so young. They're so young. They're so young. That's the only thing that gets me, which also by the time that Eileen was born, they were 16 and 18 and she was now one of two kids. So by the time her mother was 16, she had two kids. I can't even imagine that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So as if being 16 and 18 and having kids this, I mean, just this young, as if that's not hard enough, their marriage was also super rocky. Only two months before Eileen was born, her mother filed for divorce. <laughs> divorce. divorce. <laughs> she wanted a divorce and she wanted it now. <laughs> her mother filed for divorce. At the time of her birth, uh, her father was already incarcerated. Hmm. He was later diagnosed for schizophrenia and convicted of sex crimes against children. Oh, fuck. Yeah. But also... Technically, his wife was still a child at 16, so. Well, (laughs) if her parents agreed to it in the eyes of the law, the disgusting law, yeah. 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 In January of 1960, not 16, when Eileen was almost four and her brother Keith was six, their mother abandoned them with their maternal grandparents, so her parents, Lori and Britta Warnos, who were apparently both alcoholics. Uh, that's, that's always fun. Yeah. The two then legally adopted the children in March of that same year. At 11, Warnos had started exchanging sexual acts for cigarettes, drugs, and oh, food. She later admitted that she and her brother would engage in sexual activities and oh. that her grandfather would sexually assault and beat her. Shit. According to her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes before he beat her. By the age of four, this whole thing is awful. Yeah. By the age of 14, after having been raped by a friend of her grandfather, she became pregnant. She then gave birth to a healthy baby boy on March 23rd, 1971 at a home for unwed mothers. About the same time, a lot of things happened. She gave her son up for adoption She dropped out of high school, her father committed suicide while in prison, and her grandmother died from liver failure. Then a year later, her grandfather kicked both her and her brother out of the house. So, you know, just just super rough child. I like how um, we're like, this one's not (laughs) gory. Well, like, look, the actual crimes aren't in depth. The crimes she committed. The crimes she committed are not in depth. (laughs) Since she is only 14 at the time and living on the streets with no other way to provide herself for food and shelter, she began prostituting herself and committing petty thefts. This supported her for a little while until May 27, 1974. Eileen was arrested in Jefferson County, Colorado for driving under the influence, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. She was then later charged with failure to appear in court. You know, those are some interesting first charges, I gotta say. They really are. Two years later, she hitchhiked herself to Florida. It is here that she met her husband, 69-year-old yacht club president, Louis Grantsfell. 
And she was how old? She was born in 56. It is 76. So she's 20. Oh. So she's 20 at this point. Um, Louis Gratz fell. Well. So personally, I could not see myself marrying someone old enough to be my grandfather. It's a very large age gap, but yeah. to it each works their for own. Me, you know. Yeah, to each their own. Go for it. Go for it for the right reasons, but go for it. So everything was great, except that she continually involved herself in bar fights and eventually went to jail for assault. At one point, she even hit her husband with his own cane. Jesus. This prompted him to get a restraining order against her and annul their marriage. Good choice. She returned to Michigan after her failed marriage, where in July of that year, she was arrested for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Three days. If you haven't been in a bar fight, have you even lived? I have not, so I'm going to say no. (laughs) I also have not. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, we're not doing any living here. That's fine. No. Uh, Three days after this event happened, on July 17th, her brother Keith died of esophageal cancer? Esophageal. Esophageal, thank you. Being the benefactor of his life insurance gave her $10,000. When this money ran out, she returned to Florida and began almost immediately her life of prostitution and petty theft crimes again. On May 20th, 1981, she was arrested in Edgewater, Florida for armed robbery where she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. Not even a good haul. Not $10,000. Right. She was sentenced to prison where she spent about a year before her release in July of 1983. Again, a year after that, she was arrested, this time for attempting to pass a forged check at a bank in Key West, Florida. Which is where Key West comes in. Woo! Yeah. Then on November 30th, 1985, she was named as a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County. Two months later, in January, Eileen was charged with car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice for providing identification bearing her aunt's name in Miami. (laughs) So guess what was found by the police in that stolen car? I I don't, I know, I'm not gonna be able to The revolver and a box of ammunition. More than likely- That was my guess. The same ones that she was suspected of stealing in Pasco County. Wow! Go figure. She's not good Sometimes at being a criminal. Sometimes they just make it too easy. They really do. We say this like we've ever actually done anything. <laughs> As if we're criminal masterminds. This just comes back to the whole, you feel like by listening to podcasts and watching murder documentaries, you're like, yes, I could totally kill someone and get away with it. And then you're like, nah. <laughs> Funny story. I drove for one day on a um, expired license. Oh, because I Good hadn't job. received my new one yet and it came in the mail the next day and I re- had realized I realized and I was like oh oops you know oops. it happens it happens Eileen was then detained by police on June 2nd 1986 when a client of hers accused her of pulling a pistol on him in his car and demanding $200 okay so she was found to be carrying spare ammunition and a 22 caliber pistol was also found under the seat that she had occupied but I, I guess this didn't really go anywhere because all of the literally all the sources just left it that maybe he dropped it he dropped it <laughs> he was like you know what I owed her 200 bucks it's okay 
Around this time, Eileen began frequenting the lesbian bars in the area when she met a woman named Tyra Moore. The two moved in together, and Eileen was the breadwinner of the family with her earnings as a prostitute. In July of the following year, Daytona police detained the two women for questioning regarding an incident in which they were accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. Rough. In March of 1988, Eileen accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assaulting her after a confrontation. Her girlfriend was listed as a witness. Mm-hmm. Then in mid-December of 1989, the body of Richard Mallory was found in a junkyard along with the bodies of five more men that were discovered over the next five months. Dang. These deceased men were finally tracked down to Eileen Wernos and Tyra Moore from finger and palm prints left on a crashed vehicle from another missing man named Peter Sims, as well as stolen items belonging to these same men, like all of them, being found in pawn shops with receipts that also showed their fingerprints. Oh, wow. So... Richard Mallory was their first victim. He was 51 years old, a convicted rapist who had just finished his prison term only a few years earlier. Eileen claimed that she shot him in self-defense. Two days later, his vehicle was found abandoned. His His body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He was shot several times, but the cause of death were two bullets through his left lung. Oh, look, I'm not like a big, I'm not big proponent of the death penalty or anything like that. I don't like to say that like one person should decide that another person um, should die, typically. But I don't really have any sympathy for the dude. No, there's some people where if they did die, you, you just wouldn't feel sympathy for him. I wouldn't. It's like. You wouldn't feel sympathy for someone who's a murderer. Not really. You wouldn't feel sympathy for someone who's rapist or someone who's a child predator. Right. There's just certain people you would not feel that sympathy for. I'd feel sympathy for the people who have to have all of that trauma brought back up because of their death and people Mm -hmm. talking about it constantly. But not for everyone listening. Sorry. Well, we've already given them the warning. (laughs) That's true. We did. Okay, so 43-year-old David Spears was the next victim to be found. He was shot six times before Eileen stripped him of his clothes. Oh. Five days after Spears' body was found, the remains of 40-year-old Charles Karskadon was found having been shot nine times. Wow. Peter Sims was next. He disappeared on, well... He's next in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, he disappeared on June 30th on a drive from Florida to Arkansas. While the women have, in fact, been linked to his disappearance because of their fingerprints on his car. Right. His body was never found. Oh. And three other men, Troy Burris, 50, Charles Humphreys, 56, and Walter Gino Antonio, 62, were all found in different parts of Florida, all of them having been shot dead. Hmm. and because of the receipts of the pawn shops shops, we know yeah (laughs) obviously a search party was sent out for both Eileen and Tyra Eileen was arrested at a bar in Port Orange Florida while Tyra's Tyra was tracked down somewhere in Pennsylvania 
In order to avoid persecution, Tyra made a deal in 1991. It was able to elicit a phone confession from Eileen. Mm. She took full responsibility for the murders, claiming that the men had tried to rape her and she killed them all in self-defense. On January 14th. Some, like, it's like some Dexter bullshit. It's also one of those, if you killed in self-defense, why would you hide? So I, I see the question. I understand the question. But also I can see it from the opposite side of like, I've got a record. Um, I've had yeah. um, previous, um, a part of my record is um, assault mm-hmm. and battery. So I probably would think they would not believe me. So True. I can see that, that part of it. True. I can see that too. On January 14th, 1992, a year after her initial arrest, she went to trial for the murder of her first victim, Richard Mallory. Normally, prior bad acts um, are considered inadmissible in criminal trials. Mm -hmm. However, under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes in order to show a pattern of illegal activity. Yeah. Yeah. And you said Tyra got a reduced sentence. Or did she escape jail time? It just says that she avoided persecution. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's all I got. I know nothing else about. I feel like every time I hear about Eileen Warnos, I always forget what it is that she did exactly. And then I hear it and I'm like, why isn't there more information? Well... Eileen Warnos was convicted of his murder. At her mm-hmm. sentencing, the psychiatrist testified that she was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Four days later, she was sentenced to death. In March of 1992, she pled no contest to the murders of Charles Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears, saying that she wanted to get right with God. She stated that while Richard Mallory had actually raped her, these three men had not, only that they had begun to. Mm. take that as you will she could have just imagined that they began to or they could have actually been in the act of starting to force themselves on her so this right and it could have been some sort of trauma response and she was like fuck that right which you know again that would I feel like that would still fall under self-defense but also also who knows yeah who knows at this point On May 15th, she was given three more death sentences for this. Then in June of 1992, she pled guilty to the murder of Charles Karskadon and received her fifth death sentence. Then in February of 1993, she pled guilty to the murder of Walter Gino Antonio and was yet again sentenced to death. That's insane. So she has quite literally pled guilty to the murder of all of the men, the bodies Mm. that were found. Like, no contesting, she just... Yep, I did it. Yep, yep. Did it, don't regret it. However, at one point, she did try to appeal these sentences, saying that she's mentally unable and unstable Mm -hmm. and all that. But in 1996, the Supreme Court denied it. Then in 2001, she claimed that she would no longer issue any further appeals against her death sentences. In fact, she instead petitioned the Florida Supreme Court for the right to fire her legal counselor. Oh, of course. Love it when they do that. Okay, but here's the 
rough part. She is quoted saying, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice, and I do it again too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. Every time. And of course, her defense attorney argued that she was in no state for them to honor such a request because she's cuckoo. Mm -hmm. She was given three psychiatrists for 15-minute interviews in order to determine that she understood she would die and for which crime she was being executed for. All three judged her to be mentally fit enough to be executed. Like That's such a <laughs> fucked up sentence. They all judged her to be sentence. mentally um, prepared or mentally competent <laughs> she to is, face so execution. Basically, my understanding is that as messed up as that sen- sentence is, she understands that what she did was wrong, but that she doesn't, she doesn't regret care. It. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't care. She doesn't regret it. She was brought to the death chamber on October 9th, 2002, where she died at 9.47 p.m. Her last reported words were, I'd just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus on June 6th. Like the movie, big mothership and all, I'll be back. And they thought that woman was mentally competent enough to face execution. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So, fun fact, she felt that the people in the hospital in the jail that she was staying at were spitting in her, in her food and poisoning her, so she refused a last meal. Her last meal consisted of coffee. See, that's one of the biggest things about Eileen Warnos that I just, it makes me really conflicted. It does. And I hate that because, you know, you want things to be so clear cut. This is definitely not a clear cut case. And a lot of the sources that I found were very biased one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It was either these men tried to force themselves on her and she protected herself, but she was mentally ill. So she said all these conflicting things and ended up being executed. Or she was a cold blood killer, knew exactly what she was doing and... So she was executed. Yeah. So, I mean, there are certain things that she says where, yes, she knows what she's doing, but she says shit like that. Yeah. It's, look, if anyone is interested, there are two documentaries about her. They are titled Eileen Warnos, The Selling of a Serial Killer, and Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. Also, I mentioned before, Court TV shows the entire televised trial, so if you want to watch it, I highly recommend it. Didn't Charlize Theron also play her in a movie recently? In the movie Monster. Ah, yes. It's got her and Christina Ricci, and it is very loosely based on her life. (laughs) Loosely based, even though she looks exactly fucking like her. And that is the story of what I could find of Eileen Warnos. Interesting. Yes. What is your story? I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. My story. Well, you know, I don't generally like doing the really popular ones. It's Robert the Doll. <gasps> I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, I originally I love didn't. Robert the Doll. 
I don't even know why I chose it. I I didn't realize that Robert the Doll was in Florida. For some reason, I thought that he was in the Zach Bagans Museum. For some reason, I don't. Uh, because he was featured on an episode uh, with one. He was featured on Ghost Adventures. Also, he yeah. was featured on an episode of Deadly Possessions. So many things. So many things. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I found it randomly and it was like all these different places. And then it was like this museum and it says Robert the Doll. And I was like, oh, all right, why not? (laughs) Me, Robert the Doll. I'm so excited. I'm actually really surprised I didn't have him on my list. I, I actually tried to stay away from any of the doll stories because I don't, really like dolls very much uh the one time I had sleep paralysis I woke up and saw a doll that looked like Annabelle right next to me out of the corner of my eye um like the real Annabelle or the televised Annabelle the movie version okay of Annabelle that creepy like porcelain-ish doll sort of thing that kind of doll yeah so I don't like dolls um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. however this one a lot of dolls i'm very concerned with how many dolls i had you really did. did they creeped me out and <laughs> but robert the doll i'm actually not scared of i was gonna say i like robert the doll he's kind of cute and uh so let me just my sources for this are atlas obscura all that's interesting.com wikipedia another atlas obscura article robertthedoll.org, popsugar.com, kwahs.org, workforcesoftware.com, and ghostandgravestones.com. So there seems to be some debate as to origins of Robert the Doll. The most popular version of the story seems to be that in 1904, the Otto family, one of the most well-known and wealthy families in Key West, Mm -hmm. fired their maid and some say without cause, others say because the mother caught her doing black magic. And before the maid left, she gifted their young son, the doll, but it had been hexed that she'd perform some sort of voodoo on it. To be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of that story. I think it- Also, I thought it was a family member that gave Robert the doll. Yes, um, it's much more likely and it's not entirely confirmed, but it's basically been confirmed that the doll came from the grandfather yeah according to the fort west martello museum where robert the doll is now the doll was made by the steve company a german toy company who designed the first teddy bear Uh a uh, company historian told the museum that the doll was most likely never meant to be sold to the wider public and was most likely part of a window display Mm -hmm. so Either paid some good money for that doll since it was a window display. Probably. Um, Although, to be fair, sometimes the window displays do get thrown out or repurposed. That is true. So I think it just depends. Which one I think it's kind of more likely that um, somebody... I don't know. I just think it's more likely that it came from his grandpa. Yeah, 100%. I agree. But most of the locals tend to think that it came from the maid. So I don't know. Either way, the doll was gifted to their son, Robert Eugene Otto. And he loved this doll so much that 
even though they were nearly the same size, he carried the doll around everywhere and obviously also named it after himself. Obviously. (laughs) He stopped going by the name Robert, instead preferring to go by Gene. And when his mother asked why, he said, because Robert said so. Which right then and there, I would have been like, Robert's got to go. Right. Then it's like, well, no, your name was Robert first. Right. It's like, <laughs> I, I named you that. Yes. Although if you want to change your name, that's fine. But like, come change on. Change your name because you want to change your name, not because someone told not you the you doll want to change told your me name. So. Yes. Right. The two were best friends and often his parents would see him talking to the doll which isn't odd at all I feel like that's fairly common for kids to do but what's not common is for that doll to talk back in a completely different deep voice which is exactly what his parents heard Mm. it also probably didn't help that Gene treated Robert like an actual person which again not weird for kids I mean whenever you see a movie like with kids there's like the tea party and they're like talking to their toys like they're real I do Um, it all the time for Gene and Robert it was constant yeah not just like certain situations the family lived at 534 Eaton Eaton Street in Key West which is later on known as Artist House and that's where the family was basically terrorized by this doll. Gene, it started with Gene blaming all sorts of things on Robert, like destroyed toys, broken glassware, mysterious mm-hmm. things happening around the house, messing up his bedroom, and, and a lot more. Well, yeah. And while his parents didn't believe him, it was reported that the servants and even sometimes the family could hear the sound of giggling all around the house and sightings of Robert running up the steps. Mm, that's At this point, I would have been like, mm, honey, that doll, it's gotta go. We are caging up your doll. And we are cleansing the entire place. I wouldn't even cage it up. I'd give it away. I'd donate it. I, I don't know. I'd burn it. Fuck. I don't know. That Once, doesn't always work. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Once a plumber who had been hired to make repairs around the auto's home claimed to hear children's laughter, even though no one was home at the time. And when he looked around the room, he noticed that Robert the doll had moved from one side of the window to the other, oh. seemingly on his own, because again, oh. nobody else was there. Yes. What's more, the plumber swore that the objects that had been in Robert's lap ended up on the other side of the room, like he had thrown them. No, you're in yeah. my space. Yeah, even people walking by on the street claimed to see the doll moving from window to window. School children swore that he would appear and reappear, and they avoided the house because he thought it was so fucking creepy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. if kids yeah. are saying that it's creepy... Then it's probably creepy. It's probably creepy. And on more than one occasion, the autos would wake up in the middle of the night to Gene screaming. Aww. They would rush into his room to find Gene terrified in his bed, surrounded by overturned furniture. Gene would blame Robert each time. And each time, Robert would be sitting at the foot of Gene's bed, seemingly glaring at him. A doll glaring. Yes. That's a big thing with Robert because apparently he can change its his expression. I know, but it's just making me think of like those little cartoons and it's oh, the, like the happy and then angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually Jean went to college to study uh, art in New York and Paris and the family moved to France for a while, 
leaving Robert behind in a box in the attic, nailed shut. Mm-hmm. I which is what it should have been the said. entire time. Mm-hmm. I don't. I still don't understand why they didn't like get rid of it in some sort of way. But whatever. Because it could have attached itself to the house and not at all. Well, there's only one way to find out. True. <laughs> but do you want to find out? <laughs> yes. Gene inherited his family home in Key West after his parents passed, and Robert once again returned to Gene's bedroom. At this time, Gene had been working as an artist, and according to locals, he spent his days in the mansion painting with his old friend Robert. And I don't understand why he would still think this doll is his friend, but that's his business, I guess. Wasn't there a mention of a wife somewhere? Yes, we did that. Yes, okay. Jean did eventually marry a woman named Annette Parker on May 3rd, 1930, and she moved into the artist's house with him, and it was rumored that she hated Robert. Hated. Hated. Jean had started playing with Robert again, carrying him up and down the street. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. He built a room to size, complete with a bed, table, and chairs for Robert, it said that sometimes at night, Jean's wife would hear him talking to Robert, like laughing at his jokes. I, I don't. Legend says that eventually, Jean insisted that Robert be served first at the dinner table, saying, "He's the man of the house." I, I, I would no divorce. Goodbye. Mental asylum. I don't. Also, there. Are, there are a lot of rumors about the couple's deaths. Mm-hmm. Some say that Jean died with Robert by his side, and one telling Jean is found dead in the attic with Robert's hands around his neck. Never heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, Jean's wife died two years after he did, and people say she died from, quote, insanity after locking Robert in the attic. Makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Mm. There have been claims that the doll vanished after Otto's house changed ownership a couple of times after his death, but I read that Jean's wife leased the the house and moved back to France, leaving Robert behind. Mm-hmm. One of the only stipulations in the lease was that Robert be the sole occupant of the attic. So like, that's why nobody saw him for a while. Okay. Myrtle Reuter eventually purchased Artist's house after leasing it and also became Robert's new caretaker turning the home into a sort of visitor um, house where people would often hear footsteps in the attic and giggling. Mm. I I couldn't do it. If I heard some fucking... I told you about the, the one night, um, the first night that I was working at H&M and I was the closing manager and, and I yeah. heard children laughing. And, it was that carnival ride. And it was the carnival ri- little rides that were outside the, s- the store in, like, the hallway. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was like, this is it. <laughs> it's like that scene from The Incredibles. We're dead. We're all going to die. We're dead. I, but I was the only one in the entire area of that store. And the rest of the mall was empty. So I was terrified. Yeah. So, but not like that. No, um, agreed. No. 
Some claimed Robert's expression changed when anyone badmouthed Otto in his presence. In one instance, Solaris Hill reporter Malcolm Ross visited Robert and said it, it was like a metal bar running down his back. Ooh, he At must first, have stopped real bad then. He he. Okay, so when they first when they walked through the door, the look on Robert's face was like a little boy being punished. Like oh. it, it's like he was asking himself, "Who are these people in my room, and what are they gonna do to me?" Yeah. Ross's friends told him Robert's backstory and pointed out the children's furniture. And that's when Malcolm noticed a change in his expression, in Robert's expression, as if he was following the conversation. I believe one of the men made a comment about what an old fool Gene Otto must have been, and Robert's expression turned to one of disdain. Mm. I don't like it. Myrtle Reuter also said that Robert would move around the house on his own, and after 20 years of antics, including scaring her daughter and waking up, and when Myrtle herself woke up to Robert in her room, sitting on top of a kitchen knife, she finally oh. donated him to a museum in 1994. Hope she donated that kitchen knife, too. I, oof. See, this is how you know it wasn't the house, it was the doll. True, but also 20 years with only the doll. <laughs> uh, oof. It didn't take long for mysterious things to happen in the museum. Though Robert wasn't initially on display, he started receiving visitors as more and more people heard that he had been moved there. Yeah. Once he was put on exhibit, obviously cameras and electronic devices malfunctioned in his presence. And like I said before, they noticed his expression change quite often. Mm -hmm. And he himself, like his body would actually move. Ooh, like not, he, he would change mm, positions. Workers would leave the room only to come back and find him in a completely different position. And that wouldn't be an, an easy prank because he's in a glass case that's locked. Yeah. So. It's like locked, locked. Locked, locked. It's at the locked, locked. It's no trespassing. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost hunters, TV shows, psychics, skeptics, um, and believers visit Robert on a regular basis to see. Yes, him too. <laughs> to see if the stories they've heard are true. And it was this point when I was writing that I realized I never described Robert. There are all these like really descriptive and menacing sounding descriptions out there, out there. But in reality, it's just a the, cute little doll. The doll looks like an old life-size fabric doll. He's wearing an old yes. sailor outfit that belonged to Gene Otto when he was a child. He's holding a really old teddy bear. And to be honest, his head looks like a large potato with beady eyes. I'm totally serious. I think it looks like a potato. It's this light brown fabric with these sort of like indents and tiny, tiny chunks missing, almost like scars all over the face. Like, seriously, look him up. Tell me that doesn't look like a fucking potato. No, I know what it looks like. You're right. Absolutely a potato. The first time I saw it, I was like, that's a big potato <laughs> with eyes and it's a, a hat. big potato with eyes. <laughs> and a sailor hat. Like, <laughs> okay. there's our title. <laughs> what big potato, big with, a potato hat? with eyes and a sailor hat yeah an interesting thing i learned was that you know how i said he was most likely part of a fabric window display for the teddy bears yes 
Well, apparently, according to that historian that I talked about earlier, he would have looked a lot more like a jester or a clown when he was originally made. Why is that? That's what uh, the set that he was most likely made for had looked like. Oh, like a so jester set. Yeah, so okay. that's what he probably would have been wearing and what his like face would have looked like. Okay. Um, would they I, yeah. have put some sort of makeup on him? I don't, I don't know. But they said it's kind of fitting with how mischievous he's supposed to be. So. Yeah. yeah, maybe. And I realize that potato thing sounds insulting and I should probably write him a letter to apologize now, but I'm lazy, so I will not. <laughs> I've well, already got enough bad luck. You. Fuck me yeah. up, I don't care. Uh, that's, that is one of the most interesting things about Robert the Doll, I think, though. The, the letters... Mm-hmm. so when you visit Robert in the museum for those who don't know there's a sign hanging up that lets you know you shouldn't take a picture of Robert without asking him and the museum workers there let you know in no uncertain terms not to insult him you also have to greet him like introduce yourself and you can't leave the museum without saying goodbye but of course there are always people who break those rules whether knowingly or unknowingly yeah although even though it said that when you're rude Robert will hex you and this has led to him being blamed for a lot yep. like car accidents broken bones divorces missed flights being burned <laughs> by hot water and literally so much more I'm sorry why are you getting divorced today a doll <sighs> that doll that damn doll <laughs> damn doll <laughs> uh, uh, according to Corey Convertito curator of the museum Robert gets between one to three letters a day mainly apologies for treating him badly because once people leave the museum their lives have been one accident after another mm-hmm. some people even email the walls near his Robert glass has cave. email he has an email nice <laughs> yeah I love it <laughs> the walls near his glass case are covered in letters from previous visitors some begging for his forgiveness and asking him to remove any hex that he may have cast. Some visitors write to ask Robert for advice, or even if he can place a curse on people who have wronged them. Dear Robert, please, 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 hex this 12-year-old girl who has been bugging me in my algebra class. Her name is Sarah, and she's, like, not nice. She's, like, really, really mean. mean. (laughs) Really mean. Um... I actually found an article where the writer themselves wrote Robert a email because they visited him. And while they thought they were respectful as possible, they did make a comment about a grown man carrying around a doll, which apparently didn't go over too well with Robert because when they tried to fly home, their flight was canceled. Oh. And once they were finally able to get home midnight the next day, their luggage had been lost and mm. no one knew where it was. They emailed Robert to apologize, and when they woke up the next morning, someone had found their luggage with a completely different airline. Nice. Yeah. Other than people just being <laughs> incompetent at their jobs, but you know. Right. Um, people make mistakes, you know. Robert also receives gifts. Um, at some point, it sort of became known that he loved candy. Guess he's a kid. Him. Sure. Even though he speaks in a very deep voice. Guests leave him sweets, money, and occasionally joints. Nice. 
Yes, which um, the museum curator says is really inappropriate, but it's also really fucking funny. I think that's hilarious. Yep. 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 That's, yep. <laughs> uh, the caretaker Convertito is Robert's caretaker. Once a year, she administers a checkup, taking him out of the case and weighs him to see if the humidity has adversely affected his, like, the straw in his body. Yeah. She also receives and reads all of his emails and letters and runs his social media. Occasionally, she corresponds on Robert's behalf. She tries to send something to every child who writes him because she said Jean always had a childlike temperament and that they felt like Robert would want to be kind to children, which, like, did they forget that he terrorized Jean as a child? But not the entire time as it was child. It was Oh, not the entire time. Just, just a large chunk just, of it. Just, it's fine. It's fine. Um, anyway, she also responds to more serious ones, like this one from a girl who was being bullied at school, which I think is pretty nice. It, yeah. She says she doesn't know if Robert's haunted but that she's never had a bad experience with him or ever felt uncomfortable. If he is haunted or something, he's always just let her do her job and never bothered her. And, Good guy, uh, Robert. Yeah, I guess. And uh, that is Robert the doll. I'm sure I left something out that others have heard, but there are actually quite a few different versions on some of the things that I've said, so I'm sure I missed one or two. Yeah. But that was basically the gist of it, so... And that, and see, that's one of the things that happen when you get really big stories. You get a whole lot of uh, controversy and um, facts that may or may not be true. Right, differing legends. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. I love, 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 love. love. I'm gonna. You have to email Robert the doll. Are you gonna apologize on my behalf? I will. For saying his head looks like a potato. I will. But no, I love. Robert the Doll, and I love the Robert the Doll story so much. I'm so glad you covered it. I don't know why it's not on my list. I don't but know. I'm glad you covered it. <laughs> Just happened to Just see it. I do, there is one that I am really hesitant to cover, and that is PTD. Oh, no. Um, no. Because I do remember the first time I heard that one. I really, I was at work and I really did get a really intense migraine and became really nauseous. Mm -hmm. And my phone started acting really, really weird. Do you remember me messaging me? I remember me about you that? messaging me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> not, not feeling that one, but uh, if you want to do a different one, you can cover Annabelle. You can do that. That's fine. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at mythsandmisfortunes.com. Or Twitter. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? Why did I try to replicate it? Or Twitter at mythsmisfortune. Or you can search for us using the full name Myths and Misfortunes. We pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. Please, 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 please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Share us with your friends. Let them know we exist so they can laugh with us or at us. We really don't have a I'm preference okay with at that this too. point. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And yet again on this fine October <laughs> morn, I'm here. No, it's nighttime. <laughs> 
on this fine October night to remind you, rate, review, subscribe. And thanks so much for listening, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, what is going on? Did Robert curse you? On? What is going on? Did Robert curse you? It's gone. What's gone? Everything we just recorded. So... so that's not fucking funny oh my it is hilarious to me um mm, so send an email to robert and apologize please um (laughs) oh no or do you want me to send you what i have and you try to we tried that last time that's not gonna work oh wait i have the video file maybe i can do something with that oh fuck yeah yeah so please send an email to robert and apologize oh no oh my god i'm and i'm just sitting here like oh my god i love robert so much he's so amazing and you're sitting here like he looks like a potato (laughs) He looks like a potato. Apologize to him. <laughs> oh my god. Um. <sighs> um. <laughs> wow. I, uh. Okay, so Grace, make a public apology to Robert and send an email. Please. Robert. <laughs> my dude. My man. Um, you I sorry. Super sorry. My bad. I don't think that counts. You need like a sincere apology. I I'm just so shocked. <laughs> uh Robert, I'm really sorry. I won't say those mean things that I said anymore. Oh god, your um, life's just flickered. <laughs> I'm just gonna write him an email. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, yep, tell please let me know what happens and I will see what I can do with this video. Um is there a way for you to use the audio for this? I don't know. I'm gonna figure it out. I will let you know. If not, we will record on Friday. Um, I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe it was me. Maybe I accidentally um, did something wrong on Audacity. I mean, you could have tried doing a test audio. It, It looks like it's working. Yeah, that's working fine. So then we know what happened and we know what you have to do. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's fucked up. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us in the lovely discovery of what we just saw. Please continue listening. We promise to not make this mistake again. Uh, yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Bye, Grace. Bye. (laughs)